if your IQ is above a certain number, life is pretty much unbearable. And the number is not even that high. You can go jerk off to my panties. To everyone out there chasing their dreams, don't give up. And in the meantime, mac and cheese. There's not a line in the world I wouldn't cross for you, Michael. It's you. Season one. Welcome to the Center Cut. I'm Dave. I'm Michael. Are you ready to get spooky scary? Yeah, we're going to make your lives better today. Don't mind the dead bodies. We're just making your life better. Michael, I've been watching you from across the street. You've been watching the show you from across the street? No, I've been watching you, Michael, oh, from me across personally. the street. Are you in the bushes? I love when you walk in front of the window naked. Mm, mm. Sometimes when I'm lonely, I slap myself across the face, close my eyes, and pretend it was your massive diggler. Wow. Yeah, so today we are covering you. We watched the first episode and the last episode of season one. We're going to recap it as per usual, and then we have some questions to try to help us figure out the middle. Yes, it is going to be a fun time. You is a psychological thriller that released on Lifetime, then subsequently on Netflix back in 2018. It is based on a 2014 novel written by Caroline Kepnes. At least season one is. It had a small following on Lifetime, and then it hit Netflix and kind of blew up. Season one has been streamed by over 43 million users. It's sporting an 88% in Rotten Tomatoes and stars Penn Badgley and Elizabeth Lale. Sure does. Now it's time for the recap part. Let's do it. Let's do it. So episode one, titled Pilot, boring. We open in New York. And enough already. Not all shows and movies have to take place in NYC and L.A. It's myopic. You're trash. I just don't think anyone wants to watch a show about some town in Wyoming or some bullshit. I do. No, you don't. I want to watch small town people. Hmm. Lifetime is not making a show for me. Anyway. No. We're in a bookstore named Mooney's next to a shop called Nirvana. And I only mention it because there's a reference to Courtney Love's grandmother in this episode and a Nirvana t-shirt in the finale. Do you think the creator wants to suck Kurt Cobain's dick or his? I don't even know the words to describe a dead person's 20 year old penis. It smells like dead spirit. (laughs) Bad. Very bad. (laughs) We meet our main character, Joe Goldberg, and we're introduced to the main mechanic of the show. His creepy high vocabulary narration. I like it. Yeah, this was an interesting. It was an interesting take on narration because he's not really talking to us. Or himself, he's addressing Beck, which is pretty much the entire time. He's addressing her, but also not, because if she heard the things that he said, it would be bad. Correct. He's he's talking to her in his mind. Yeah, I do like it. Now, he ogles the woman who comes in, judging accurately, might I add, her every decision. And it is Guinevere Beck, our other main character. They flirt hard. He shit-talks Dan Brown. And we get a chuckle out of the coworker Ethan before Beck leaves and Joe comes in his pants while watching her from the window. He heads to his apartment that night, narrating about finding the one all the way, and we meet the actual love of his life, Paco, his little boy neighbor who is obviously just a stand-in for himself as a kid. Traumatic childhood and all. Mm-hmm. Paco's outside his apartment because his mom and her drunk boyfriend Ron are fighting. Fuck Ron. Yeah, Ron sucks. And he's reading the incredibly boring the Three Musketeers. And we're supposed to think Joe is a hero because he gives him his meatball sub, but Jared from Subway peddled those suckers for years, and he's just a chubby, bespectacled pedophile. Giving away a sandwich does not wipe away your transgressions, Joe. Got him. Fuck you, Jared. Anyhow, Joe internet sleuths to learn all about his new crush. We've all done it. It's a symptom of 21st century life. And if you're one of those weirdos who is social media dark, why don't you just Go be a hermit in South Dakota or something if you want to be off the grid. Yeah, I wouldn't have even considered up till this point it stalkerish. It's just no. like doing his online due diligence. Yeah, it's online due diligence. Exactly. We've all done it. Yeah. We've all done it. I, there's some weirdos out there. Mm-hmm. Who wants to stalk a weirdo? 
I'm the weirdo around here, bitch. Yeah. Now, part of his sleuthing leads him to stand outside of her apartment. That part's a little weird. And of course, she has giant open windows that she walks by in the middle of the day in just a towel. No one does that. I suppose attractive people might do that. Exhibitionists might do that. Or like, no questions asked, participate in an orgy. This is exactly why my blinds are always drawn. I never wear pants and I like to fiddle with my crotch from time to time. Who doesn't want to Dirk their Diggler every once in a while? Dirk their Diggler. Joe wakes up the next day, presumably, and he narrates Beck's daily schedule, all while creepily following her around from afar. We learn that she teaches yoga. She's a TA, has lame friends. That's for sure. So the thing is, Joe constantly judges, and a lot of the highbrow cynicism he spouts is accurate. But who is he? He works at a bookstore, only has mayonnaise in his fridge, and stalks women while fawning over a child. Ew. Yeah. Ew. You're right. Almost all the time, he's very accurate in the the judgments that he's making. We finally get the title card, which is a white Y-O-U that gets filled in with blood. Succinct. It works. I like it. Yeah. Beck goes out with her annoying rich friends while Joe stalks from across the bar in the second or third different colored baseball cap we've seen. Good disguise, bro. Got to wear a different color hat every time. Just You're good. Different color hats. That's all you need. Some of the dialogue slash point here is dumb. Like there's a joke about anal to seem edgy. And Joe makes mention that Beck doesn't fit with her friends because she has to work for a living. I'm sorry, but she was born in Nantucket went to Brown, has a rich, old money, white name like Guinevere, and lives in a brownstone. Shut up. Like, she's not poor. Um, your definition of poor is different than my definition of poor. Yeah, but that's because you are her. You went to Brown. I did not go to Brown. (laughs) Yeah, but I do. I mean, there are a number of mentions of her saying, like, because she's a TA, she gets this housing. So I don't necessarily think that she's, like, poor, poor. But I think that her friends are just like throwing around money. Well, sure. And she does not have discretionary income. No, but she is not poor by regular U.S. standards. Agreed. Like, okay. Joe is more poor than her. Right. Exactly. Also, can we talk about her friends are terrible, all of them. I hate them all. But Peach, she was also the actress is also in Pretty Little Liars, I think. So goddamn attractive. I don't know what it is about that girl, man. She is an attractive woman. Yep. But. So is Beck. True. Anyway, still watching outside her apartment with big windows, Joe sees her fuck buddy Benji swing by, and he is the douchiest of all the douches that have ever douched. They did a great job making you absolutely immediately hate this man. Why women with even half a brain fall for men like this is beyond me. These are the men that give a bad name for my gender, and I wish I could push them all down the stairs. Artisanal soda. Come on. He says and does all the things a douche would. Beck had caught him getting a beach in the bathroom that he tried to excuse away with Coke. He has an artisanal soda startup. He pronounces cumin cumin. He wears one of those floppy hipster hats. I also pronounce it cumin. You're wrong. It's not cumin. He wears his flannel around his waist like, hey, Arnold. He calls her fat. And despite all of that, Beck still fucks him in front of the window. Like she seems like a relatively intelligent person. She's just horny. But then there's this blind spot. I mean, I mean, people just get get horny, you know, just, people just get horny, man. <laughs> Sometimes you just you just need some. Yeah. So speaking of this next part, <laughs> Benji ducks out, of course. And yeah, Beck starts to rub one out on the couch in full view to Joe's delight. She looks at this little like green cylindrical pillow and she's like, mm, I'm going to use this in my pussy. There's the dick that Benji didn't have. So Joe pictures himself joining in on the vaginal stimulation and actually starts to masturbate in the bushes right beside the street like a madman. Not even really in the bushes. <laughs> Next to the bushes. Bush adjacent. He's like adjacent to the bushes, but he's just like out in the open. Yeah. And before he can finish, an old lady comes out the door beside him and spoils the fun. And my only question is, was he going to make a mess in his pants and just walk home in it? Or was he going to ejaculate onto the sidewalk? This is why I can't stand hand jobs. I would rather nothing than a hand job. Because if you are just getting that whole situation up in my crotchal region, locked in inside whatever I'm wearing, nope, I'm done. Agreed, but this is a PSA. Please don't masturbate in public. Could you possibly not? Yeah, I mean, Who just does don't. That? 
Well, he didn't get to finish, but Paco finished Three Musketeers, <laughs> and his mom's about to finish inside the apartment. We see more in the finale, but can we just talk for a second about how this kid's mom is the worst? Yeah, she's terrible, but I they talk about it more in the last episode. They do. She's not quite as terrible as they make her out to be. Mm, I don't know. She's inside being banged by her abusive boyfriend while your weird neighbor brings her son into a creepy bookstore basement sex cube dungeon. Real winner. Correct. I mean, first and foremost, if you trust your neighbor, who up until this point, although maybe a little bit creepy, has been nothing but nice and takes care of your son, you would potentially let him. But also, if you were getting physically abused by this man and couldn't get out of their relationship and then he wanted to have sex... You kind of don't say no. We're going to talk about that later. I don't want to get into that now, but I'll just say that when Frank gets older, I am not going to have sex with Ashley while my neighbor brings Frank into their basement. (laughs) That's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So Joe shows Paco the cage, which we will get more of a lot more of. But basically, it's a giant glass temperature controlled cube with old books in it, a.k.a. my dream. I was a little annoyed that it was called the cage. I know it's it's a glass cube. That is not a cage. It's the cube, cube would have been cooler. Too. Yeah, I'll keep this brief, but I buy and sell old books as a side hustle. So this shit is right up my alley. And I'm at over three thousand dollars of profit this year alone. So buying books, man, it's a thing. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I'm basically Joe minus the public masturbation. But including all this, the stalking and murder. Potentially. Mm. So good news. Joe brings Paco home unmolested, but boyfriend man is waiting and threatens to cut out Joe's eyes. Fuck Ron. It's kind of rule number one. Like never threaten somebody crazier than you are. He'll learn. He'll learn. I think he does a good job of concealing his full crazy. Joe? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The people that are full on crazy are always good at masking it. Correct. So Joe engineers his way into Beck's apartment by calling in a gas leak. Like a true reprobate, he steals a pair of her underwear and presumably jerks it to pictures of her on her computer while she agrees to meet with her handsy professor over drinks to avoid failing because A, she didn't complete her assignment, and B, her poetry is sophomoric at best. She wants to be a famous writer? Actually, write then. What was wrong with her poetry? It sucks. The guy said it was good. That guy just wants to fuck her. Yeah, maybe. It's not good. Anyway, Joe is so engrossed in her computer in reading texts from douche lord Benji who apparently hasn't washed his hands after sleeping with her last, which was like three days ago. Gross. I could still smell you on my fingers. But Beck comes home. Oh, no. Joe hides in her shower. Now, this hit home for me. Have you hidden in a shower? One time at a party. Oh, no. In my apartment in college, I hid in my shower to scare my roommate as he was next in line to go pee in the bathroom. But another one of our friends cut him and that person took like a 17 minute shit. So I had just had to sit there in the tub quietly while another man pooped. (laughs) That's so good. Like, number one, don't poop at parties. But number two, I was committed, man. Yeah, who poops at a party? I couldn't pop out halfway through the bowel movement. Once I didn't pop out in the first 30 seconds, I just had to stay there the whole time. I mean, it would have been quicker, right? Like, let him get two minutes in and just like, like, (laughs) poop over. Done. Still to this day, he doesn't know I was in the tub while he pooped. <laughs> wow. If you remember going to a party and pooping at Michael's apartment, <laughs> we need to hear from you because chances are you are the mad pooper. It's true. So Beck's on the phone with her mom begging for money so she doesn't have to give her teacher a hand job in his Lexus. And she turns the water in the shower on, soaking Joe. Her mom refuses to give her money. She cries, decides to go out with her friends, and turns off the water. Crisis averted. But... Wouldn't he either need to leave wet footprints or steal her towel? Either way, she's going to still find out that someone was there. I don't know about that. How is he going to get out of there without either getting something wet or stealing her towel? And then she's going to be like, where the fuck did my towel go? Or he's going to wait there for 62 minutes until he drives. She's going to walk back later and be like, why are there wet footprints leading from the tub all the way to the door? Yeah, could be. Didn't think about that, David, did you? He could figure it out. He was a crafty boy. I don't know. He's trying to outsmart a bigger creep than he is. But I got you, Joe. I think about everything. <laughs> Beck reads a poem at an open mic. And if I wanted to be charitable, I'd say it was okay. But nah, son, you're actively pursuing writing. And your shit's so rife with cliche that I'm surprised the show didn't have her win over the crowd in the end. Because as we know, people are stupid. But she bombs hard because her writing is the opposite of special and she has no conviction performing it. Like that's half of the battle is you gotta really 
these are my words. And she just doesn't. She's like, these are my words, kind of like this is this is what I wrote, I think. Sucks. I hate it. I hate every second of it. I didn't mind it, but I'm also not a purveyor of literature works. <laughs> Clearly, of works of. <laughs> I am not a purveyor of works of literature. I really enjoyed the guy in the back. Though. I was like, "Why so sad?" That's <laughs> very yeah. good. Well, Joe is like me. He is also turned off, and he heads to the subway. It's fitting because just like Jared Fogel, he also is a pervert. And Jared from Subway is just trying to eat his commissary honey bun in his prison cell. And he's just catching strays left and right on the podcast today. I'm not sorry. (laughs) I don't think anyone's sorry. There's a homeless dude in the subway who just sings engine engine number nine over and over during this scene. I looked him up because he looked vaguely familiar and he has only five IMDb credits and two of them are homeless man, (laughs) which is uncanny because that's probably what he is now. Chasing the dream is expensive. <laughs> you show up to an audition and they're like, you'd make a perfect homeless man. It's because he's currently a homeless man. <laughs> Can you just yell, pick her up a hundred times? Pick her up, pick her up, pick her up, pick her up. <laughs> Beck stumbles down into the subway, falls onto the track while drunkenly texting Benji. What an idiot. <laughs> Joe plays hero, pulling her up right as the train comes. She's on top of him. Movie moment. And then pukes on his face. The puke part was pretty funny. That got me. I wasn't ready for that. It was good. It was good. I like the subversion. So does him saving her life negate at least one of the the murders later? Yes. Life for life. That's how it works. Oh, okay. That's body math. Body math. Body math. (laughs) They end up taking a cab home together. They talk. We learn Joe had left New York for a while chasing a girl. You don't say. (laughs) He says he's not a great chaser. Which is ironic because she's drunk and his presence is a good chaser, taking the bad taste out of her mouth. The show's writing is a mix of very great and very hackneyed, but that struck me as great, whether it was intentional or not. I liked it. I don't think it was intentional. They arrive at Beck's. They're about to kiss and homeless adult version of Macaulay Culkin, Benji, shows up. Such a douche. Don't throw shade at adult Macaulay Culkin. He's better than this asshole. Probably. Also, Joe stole Beck's phone. Suave move. He's very good at this. At being a stalker? Yeah. Yes. And the show kind of makes you feel like this is the first time or like an early time in him doing this type of thing. But as it goes on further and further, you're like, man, he's very good at it. You don't think he's done it before? This is just a regular thing for him. This is what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of douchebags, Claudia's boyfriend, the neighbor dude, got mad at Paco and ruined the expensive book Joe had let him borrow. Fuck Ron. So they head yet again to the sex dungeon basement. And while working to repair the book, we get Chekhov's gun, a big mallet. Interspersed, we get shots of Joe scamming Benji into meeting, basically at his basement, acting as an influencer for his soda baby. I was curious on how he pulled that off. He Googled the soda company found out their phone number, which was probably just Benji's cell phone, and texted him. Be like, hey. Yeah, but then the guy said, like, isn't this the guy you've been retweeting for months about this? Yeah, he went on, saw his Twitter, saw the dude he was obsessed with, and pretended to be him. It's not like he knows the guy's phone number. Well, yeah, no, but, like, if you're talking social media, like, what social media account doesn't have pictures? You wouldn't know what that person looked like, more or less? Not Twitter. On Twitter, it's just, like, a little tiny bubble. You have to pull out a magnifying glass to see, and they might not even have their own picture. I think it's hard-pressed that that he wouldn't have an idea of what this guy looks like. It's Benji. That's true. All he cares about is soda. And pussy. And ruining women's lives. And coke. So Benji gets downstairs and thwack! Mallet to the head. Solid. Upstairs, Beck brings Joe a gift, a copy of Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown is dressed up schluck. And they agree to meet for a drink. Ooh, baby. Joe's sinister plan is working. It's all coming together. And then lastly, back downstairs, Benji's bloodied up and in Joe's glass book cube. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Is Benji. Because we find out he's dead. Later. In the finale. In the last episode, which was episode 10 of season one, and it was named Bluebeard's Castle. Do you know about that, bro? Nah, bro. It is an opera. And basically, the gist of it is the story tells of a wealthy man in the habit of murdering his wives in the attempts of one wife to avoid the fate of her predecessors. Well, that sounds like what we watch. Wowzers. Interesting. Beck talks a lot about it in this episode. So we start off with a flashback. Young Joe, probably late teen would be my guess. 17 ish. 17 to 20. Yeah. Somewhere in that region is getting thrown down the stairs by a very old man who then shoves him into the cage 
And we learn that this is Mr. Mooney, the original owner of Mooney's bookstore where he works. So we see some of the fancy books in the glass cube, and they're really not anything special. I actually sold one of the books. I sold the same exact copy of Longfellow's Complete Poetical Works. I sold it for 35 bucks. He's talking about these things that are like they're like thousands of dollars. Like it's a thirty-five dollar book. Why are you putting it in a glass cube, bro? I don't know if they're really referring to them in a in a sense that they are valuable in terms of their monetary value. Why would you keep them in a temperature controlled cube? To preserve them. I kept mine in my bedroom and sold it for $35. Yeah, and someday that it will die. And that work will not have been preserved. Okay. Well, Moral of the story is he's in the cage now as a young boy. But then we cut back to current time. We think, I don't know how much time has passed since the beginning uh, episode one. We don't know. But Beck is now locked in there and Joe is kind of creeping in the shadows. And then they kind of chat and he's trying to make her understand that he did everything for her to make her life better because he loves her. And she's just like not getting it. No. She asks about some box and she's like, what's in the box? She also asks if he killed Benji and Peach, and he's like, oh, yeah, you don't you don't know. You haven't seen the evidence or whatever. I don't know. Remember what he said. And he, like, runs out of there like a little, like, hopped-up schoolboy, super excited for Christmas. He is so excited about giving her whatever this is to show her the truth. <laughs> but he does, in the meantime, use her phone to text her friends and throw them kind of off his scent. So he posts on social media and stuff like going on a social media detox to write my shitty poems. Hiatus because they ain't us. <laughs> so he's so good at being a basic bitch. So he he arrives home to his neighbor, Claudia, getting put into an ambulance. OK, Dave, this cop is almost as big of a douche as Benji. The fucking worst. I think that's the secret to how they made Joe likable, despite him being a horrible person. They made everyone else hateable. We're all trash. The world is a dumpster and we're in it. We're all trash. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's like real life, right? That's true. <laughs> like, like most shows make it. Everyone's great. This is like real life. Everyone's shitty. Everyone sucks. Everyone sucks. Literally everyone. I suck. You suck. Everyone yeah. sucks. But when it comes down to it, he does find Claudia getting put in the ambulance, talks to this cop, and the cop's like, yeah, got beat up by her boyfriend again. And he's like, but that's him right there, like, getting in the back of the ambulance. And she's like, yep, can't do anything about it. Like, excuse me? Police? What? <laughs> Why? No one has seen Paco, which is important because he's the only character I care about in this whole show. Mm -hmm. He does, however, pick up his box, whatever this box is, and brings it back to Beck and shows it to her and turns out it is just a collection of all his stalker stuff. <laughs> Here's the panties I stole from you and a picture I took and also the remains of the bottle that Benji dropped on the floor of his stupid soda that I then proceeded to burn his whole body. I honestly don't know how I'd react if I found out that Ashley kept a pair of my underwear in a box to sniff from time to time. I think I'd be... I think I'd be intrigued, but alas, that will never happen. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, if like you found out Emily was just just had a pair of your underwear in a box. Because he's not wrong. Like, is it just because he took it without permission that makes it weird? I guess, because it's not that different than like keeping an old movie ticket stub. Yeah, or like giving your girlfriend a t-shirt when you're going away and he like sleeps with a t-shirt or whatever. Like that, that's a thing that happens. Yeah. It, it's like, I guess what makes it creepy is he took them without anyone's permission. <laughs> <laughs> like it's well, different if i give you something I'm like here's something for you to remember me by right plus like your underwear is close to your crotch which is different than a t-shirt yeah it's a different different smells <laughs> yeah definitely different smells my fingers still smell of you or whatever benji said That's stupid dick <laughs> he uh so he they have a conversation about this and rightfully so beck is kind of freaking out a little bit but we do learn some things he did kill benji and he did kill peach but both of them were bad. Benji killed some kid drunk one night and didn't have any remorse about it. And Peach was obsessed with Beck and looks like she took pictures of her sleeping. So mm -hmm. I don't have any stalkers and this bitch had two. share the wealth, you know, like sometimes I just want to be loved. But ultimately, he does confirm that he just did all of this to make Beck's life better. Like that was his whole goal to make her life better. <sighs> It's interesting. Like, I get what he's saying, but also that's just not really how it works, dude. I know. 
I agree with you, but like some people would refer to this as like a guardian angel, right? If your guardian angel sniffed your panties and killed people. Let's take a look at it from this perspective. I'm going to do a little spoiler, but I think we should talk about this now. He kills Ron, right? Uh-huh. And Claudia, his neighbor, has no idea that he killed him. Yeah. So for all she knows, Ron just disappeared. And even in the end, they have a conversation and she's like, something must have happened. But thank God it did because like I needed to get out of this. So whatever's going on with Ron, I don't care because he's out of my life. So for her, she would consider without knowing what happened to Ron, whatever it was, it was like a miracle that Ron is gone and out of her life now. And her life is better for it. Mm -hmm. But just because Beck knows that Joe did these things, it's not okay. But like to Claudia, whatever happened to Ron is great. Yeah. And we I mean, and we as the audience know that Ron sucks, but we don't know like what Claudia is doing. Maybe Claudia is putting Windex in his coffee every morning. We don't know. Okay. And Joe doesn't Joe doesn't know. Well, like I'm saying, listen, this dude is is a douche if we think he's just like beating on her. But what if she's slipping freaking razor blades in his toast? Then is it okay that he beats her? Maybe Ron's not such a bad guy after all. No, maybe she's also bad. And then it's like, why are we killing this guy? Well, yeah, we've already discussed this. Everyone's bad. They're all bad. Well, then I guess what right does he have to kill Ron? All the rights. Fuck Ron. (laughs) So he should just kill everybody is what you're saying. He should also kill Claudia. I mean, she is a bad mom. She's a horrible mom. We'll talk about it. Anyway, let's get back into the recap. We can talk more as we go, but yes. But yeah, but we do cut back to the cage and Joe sneaks in while Beck is sleeping to give her a typewriter and some stuff to make it more cozy. We do get another flashback at this point. Mooney is yelling at Joe inside the cage. It's just like, you can be better because the rest of your family was shitty. Paco tries to steal a gun because he's done with Ron. Go Paco, taking your life into your own hands. I like it. Love it. Yeah, but Joe's like, hey, I know my veins are popping out of my forehead, little boy, but go stay in my house. His veins do get really intense in his forehead. I noticed that a number of times. But his mom doesn't care. This kid's mom is rotten. Uh, Paco just wants Ron gone. He thinks it's the worst part of his whole life. I get it. But also his mom is horrible. See, I don't think I think that she got into a bad situation and couldn't find a way out of it. Not to say that there aren't ways out of it, but sometimes people just get into situations that they can't figure out how to resolve. She should have been trying harder. I'll agree with you on that. In the meantime, though, Joe goes and meets with Beck's friends because he's got to sell the fact that she's gone on some retreat. So he's like, we had a fight. I haven't heard from her. Is she okay? He's really rocking this. And then some of it kind of falls into place that I don't even think he was trying. In his vampire peacoat. Yeah, solid vampire peacoat. But uh, yeah, he says he caught her cheating with her therapist. And then they're like, oh, yeah, in that message she sent, which he sent, said that it was going to be a therapeutic detox. Do they think he's with the therapist? Would spoiler alert, the therapist is John Effing Stamos. <laughs> so good man i'm i wish we got more of the therapist who wouldn't cheat with john stamos but yeah so in, in this conversation with the friends we also find out that peach's family hired a personal investigator to investigate her death mm-hmm. apparently it was kind of ruled a suicide but they don't think it, it was back with beck though she's seeming to be in a little bit better spirits she asked to use the bathroom instead of peeing in a bucket which same girl well before that though there was a there was a shot where she like she focused in on the typewriter. I thought that she was going to be smart enough to throw it through the glass and then escape that way. But that never happened. I don't think that that typewriter would go through glass. Even if you don't throw it, if you took it and you smashed it a bunch of times, you don't think you could. I also I don't glass? think I am fully confident that it is glass and not like plexiglass. You still don't think that eventually if you hit it hard enough, you could make a dent. Yeah, but just with a typewriter, I don't think she'd get it done. OK. All right. Yeah. Joe's thinking about letting her out and then doesn't. And then she like loses it like she was just trying to trick him. You stupid bitch. But ultimately, she does start writing. Finally, we, we see scenes of her writing. She's narrating kind of what she is writing. Nothing all that important. She talks about Bluebeard a little bit or whatever. And then how she had a tough childhood because people called her fat. And then her uncle grabbed her butt one time. Yep. All things that happened to me as well. Wow. Joe, at this point, is chatting with Claudia at the hospital. And he's like throwing shade. He's like, what are you doing? You're the worst mom ever. And she's like, well, I don't want to lose my son. What if I say something and then Ron somehow gets custody of my son? Bitch, please. And then Joe's like, okay, I'm sorry. I don't know everyone's problems. No, shut up, lady. Like, listen, it's not her fault that she got hit. Her boyfriend is a despicable person. 100%. I get that. He's also a police officer, I think. He was an ex-parole officer. Oh, okay. He has connections. Yeah. But she, it doesn't change the fact, none of that does, that she's just a weak person 
who is making excuses and in turn being a horrible mother. So what option do you have? She's being a horrible mother. So your your only option is to like just get up and leave and hope this person doesn't follow you. Call the police and say this man is beating me. We just saw the police and they said, I know he's beating her, but we can't do anything about it because she told them that he didn't hit her. So what? They could still like just to fucking arrest him for fun. I agree. But all she has to say is, yes, he is beating me. Yeah, he is beating me. I don't feel safe. I feel like he's going to kill me. I need to get out but of here. But she's worried that he's just going to call on his buddy to get out of it somehow, and then he's, she's dead, basically. So let me just be a horrible mom instead. She just doesn't know what to do. Like, she's in a situation where... Well, clearly. I think it's easy to, to throw shade at a situation like that, but when you're actually in it, it's much harder to make the correct decision. Well, A, don't sleep with the guy in the first place. Be a better judge of character. Don't let someone in your vagina unless you know about them. Okay, but all the people who've slept with you should have thought more about it, but didn't. Well, that's true. That's true. That's their fault. Yeah. Number two, you're still making excuses. You're still a bad mom. Your number one thing should be, I need to take care of my son. Not let him go with random people into a basement. Yeah. I'm in Paco's corner. I mean, so am I. No, you're in Claudia's corner. No, 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 no. I, I am in Paco's corner, but I think that it is impossible for you to look at that situation as a black and white decision. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that she doesn't have her work cut out for her. It will be hard. It will be scary. But you know what? Do it because Paco is important. He's a child. You have to protect him. Correct. So okay. by continuing to sleep with this crazy man. That is not protecting him. That is wrong. Instead no. of. No. no. I mean, but you don't know what someone who's beating people is capable of. So say you, you report him. And then hit one of his parole officer guys gets him off on it somehow. And the dude just comes back and kills you and Paco. Were you protecting your son when you reported him then? There's a 5% chance that happens. You have to go with the 95% chance that the law is going to work the way it should. I don't think so, because uh, the law does not always work the way it should. Uh, it doesn't, but still. Anyway. It's definitely not 95 and 5. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Well, Joe gets questioned by this personal investigator that was hired by Peach's family, which, come on with the name Peach's. <laughs> She's lucky she's attractive. He throws off his scent, but the PI in the end of it still kind of seemed a little sketched out. Like he knows Joe's up to something. Plus, we learn that Joe peed in a jar and left it there. Yep. He just peed and right before he murdered Peaches, apparently just peed in a jar and threw it on the cabinet. Like, what are never you doing? Ends well, as someone who has peed in jars before, it just it never ends well. I've never peed in a jar. We have another flashback. Joe admits to Mr. Mooney at this point that he is the one who messed up. He has been cleansed of of his terribleness or whatever. And uh, he realizes Mr. Mooney is only trying to help and that he wants to make him a better person. And they have a nice little bonding moment through the walls of the cage because he's still in there. We cut back to Paco, who clubs Ron right over the fucking head with a baseball bat, taking his life in his own hands. I love it. And he basically... B- Wax him with the bat and runs away. He's like, oh, shit, this is this is a bad idea. Ron follows him. Joe happens to show up at just the right time when Ron is about to catch Paco. And he just stabs Ron straight through his chin and up into his brain. And it's great. Fuck Ron. He does it in front of Paco, though. Yeah, I was surprised by that. But then he kind of like him and Paco bond a little bit over how they're going to hide this murder. And then Paco is kind of like his little like apprentice murderer. You want to know what's more of a loose end than a mason jar of piss? A little kid. A 12 year old who saw you murder somebody. Yeah. There's no way, shape or form. Will he be able to hold up under interrogation? It's dumb. No. Although we come back to Beck and Joe. She fully convinces him that she's a changed woman. She wrote a story about how he can get away with the murders that he's committed. So she typed it all up and gave it to him. They, she talks about how she understands everything. She's just a changed woman now. She loves him and they're going to live happily ever after. Joe starts to tear up. He's super happy. He unlocks the cage and she stabs him in the liver with a key from her stupid typewriter never should have given her the typewriter that's the best thing that she's created with words this whole time mm-hmm. plus it's like you know fool me once shame on you <laughs> fool me twice shame on me it's like she tried to do this like a week ago and he almost fell for it and then thought better of it and then she does it again and this time he just fully fell for it like an idiot yeah but i can see why that faded red and gray flannel swoon mm. so She escapes and is able to lock him in there and she runs up the stairs and there's a big grate at the top of the stairs that she can't get through that. And she's screaming and yelling. There's never anyone in this goddamn store. One, (laughs) like how does no one ever hear this woman? But two, guess who is there? Paco. 
sees her and fucking like, fuck her. She wants to hurt Joe. See ya. And leaves her there. Now I believe that Paco will keep his murder secret of Ron. Yeah. He's shown its loyalty. He's a ride or die. Yep. So she runs back downstairs. She realized she had to get the keys from Joe, but the cage is open and he's gone. Oh, shit. And then the camera pans and he's behind her and he says something like, you know, the first thing I did after I got locked in there the first time was Mr. Mooney was hide a key. She runs away from him, grabs the same hammer that he whacked Benji over the head with and clocks him. That's Chekhov's mallet again. Mm -hmm. So she grabs his keys out of his pockets, runs to the top of the stairs. She's trying to lock the door and you just see her kind of get grabbed from behind and pulled off camera. Yep. Now it's four months later and Joe is back to life is normal. Beck is dead. He published her works as a book. I'm just going to float this out there. What are the odds that Beck's 100% dead? Like, couldn't she still just be in the dungeon cube? We didn't see the body in the bag. He has a body bag later. It easily could have been Ron. I'm not convinced. I think that she might still be in season two. (sighs) I don't think so. Because I think, like, he's telling the story about how he followed her plan to get away with this and uh, with her therapist and stuff like that. And... They show the coroners pulling the body out of the ground. And we don't see that it's back, but we see that they are like exhuming the body that he had buried in this dude's backyard or whatever. And the whole idea was like her book is selling better because she's dead and everyone knows she's dead. Like it was a big news story type of thing. And like, that's why her book is selling so well. So I would be hard pressed to think that she isn't. Is there a minuscule chance somehow? Yeah, of course there is. It's a TV show, and we didn't see her dead body. That's what I'm saying. The way that they filmed it, where you don't actually see her get killed, I think it's a possibility that she's not. It is still a possibility, yeah. Okay. But yeah, and then we see see Uncle Jesse getting arrested. He's got this beard that makes him look like the dad from Outer Banks, but I'm digging it. Paco and his mom are moving now that Ron has, quote unquote, disappeared. He tells Paco, now's the time for new beginnings because you're getting a new beginning. So enjoy. (laughs) Basically saying, don't tell anyone I murdered that man. And then lastly, he sees a girl enter the bookshop just like he did in the beginning of season one when Beck came in. She approaches him and we learn that this is Candace. She was referenced only one other time as like his long lost love. Like I think the one other time he was in love or followed a girl or whatever that was this Candace. And she was supposedly supposed to be dead and she isn't. And she isn't. Dun, dun, dun. So the only thing for me is Joe's ex-girlfriend dies. Her ex-ex and best friend die and Joe's neighbor dies and nobody but the P.I. thinks to look at him. No. Yeah. Bullshit. Give me a break. Like this dude would be suspect number one. True. It's insane. Like, come on. Especially when he went to Claudia like that night after Ron disappeared and be like, you're a bad mom. Like, we know he did it. (laughs) I don't know. There's there's a lot of liberties that this show takes with just cops being completely and utterly terrible at their job. Yeah. Like when he stabs Ron, stabbed him up through his chin with a knife without gloves on, he would have been covered in blood. And then immediately Paco comes out and he like grabs him on the shoulder to like tell him like, I'm sorry you had to see that. So Ron's blood would most definitely be on the jacket that Paco was wearing. Right. And there would be blood on the ground outside. All over the place. And he has Paco clean up. He has a 12-year-old clean up the blood in the hallway. Come on. So it's like the fact that none of that wouldn't have shown up anywhere is crazy to me. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Those are the episodes, man. Well, before we get into the middle, David, I think it is time for a much-needed center commercial. Yeah, I think we need a good commercial from this. Today's episode is brought to you by Podgo. We've been talking about it for nearly a year, but Podgo is the easiest way for pod purveyors like us to monetize our podcast. It's a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add the center cut in the how did you hear about Podgo section of the application. Come hang out in our cool glass cube. It's nice down here. Sure is. All right, David, we have some questions to help us sort out the middle of this beast. You ready? Yeah, I think I know exactly what happened with all of it. Let's do it. So our first question came from Reddit. Our first set of questions come from Reddit from user Pain. Okay. 
Do you think the urine jar will come back to haunt Joe? I'm not really sure what this has to do with the middle pair pain, but okay. Still a good question. Mm. I actually don't think it will. And I say that despite the fact that if it truly does contain his pee, then conceivably they could match his DNA and he'd be sunk. But as I've covered on this podcast in the past, I am not a scientist. But what would happen if somebody drank somebody else's DNA? I don't want to get too graphic, but like, what if Joe had consumed some of Beck's sexual liquid, sweat, blood, what have you, prior to urinating? Would her DNA be present in his urine or is it too degraded at that point? I would assume the bacteria in your stomach and in your digestive system would break it down. Why doesn't it break down your DNA then? Well, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe I don't have DNA and I mean, I, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, if it checks out scientifically, I could see that being an avenue to get him off because I'm sure he probably like drank back before he peed. He drank back before he peed. That sounds gross. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. What I'm saying is there could be somebody else's DNA in his pee. I would assume so, but it's like, okay, 99.999% of this is this one man, and there's also <laughs> three strains of DNA that is this chick. <laughs> I, we can pretty safely assume that it's this guy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how the science works. You don't know. Yeah. We don't know. We're podcasters, not scientists. That's true. So I think the urine jar will come back to haunt Joe. The reason is because if it doesn't, they spent far too much time talking about this urine jar. Why would they have even recorded him placing this urine jar on a cabinet if it didn't play into the show in some way or another? Well, they just want it to be, they want it to scare us. They want us to think, ooh, this could sink him. But like, he's Joe, he's unsinkable. But they could have just done something like they found his hair somewhere. Like, and they didn't have to say he peed in a jar. Like, that seems so outlandish that it has to be something. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know. As someone who's also peed in many jars, it's not outlandish to me. So, all right. Next question is from, I could be the chosen one. You could. Was Peach annoying? Yes, but very attractive. Anybody that has ever played Mario Kart, even once, knows with full indemnity that Princess Peach is a bitch. The only person worse than Peach is Toad. Ah, Peach is worse than Toad. No, Toad is a fucking asshole. <laughs> Fuck you, Toad. Take your mushroom hat and shove it right up your ass. Well, Little Miss Overt, Catcher on the Rye reference, certainly fits the name. She is also a bitch. But I will say that out of the three friends, she seems to be the least annoying. Eyebrow lady needs to sit the hell down. <laughs> Sit the hell down, eyebrow lady. Yeah, I mean, I guess she seemed the least annoying, but also the most stalkery, apparently. So, oops. Yep. Second question for my could be the chosen one. What was the cringiest part of Joe and Beck's relationship? So Ethan made mention in the finale. I guess it could not be true, but he says that Beck worked at the bookstore. So maybe they worked together, which is a huge no-no. Like, you can't mix business and pleasure. They probably just goofed around and canoodled the whole time. But listen, I'm I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, but it's a goddamn bookstore. Like, what is there really to do? You can only sweep the floor and fill in the holes of the four books that sold for a few minutes. Then what else are you going to do? There's time to goof around and canoodle. But I think that's what I think they work together. I think that's the cringy part. Hmm. No, I think what it was is anytime they talked on the phone, they did that annoying thing where neither of them will hang up. You hang up <laughs> no, you first. Hang up. No, you. Okay. On the count of three, <laughs> I didn't do it. Oh my god, you didn't hang up either? Like, stop. Yeah, you're probably right. I think that might be it. Yep, that's definitely it. Oh, wait, no, that can't be it. She didn't have her phone. She lost her phone, David. You're wrong. The phone he had at the end was different than the phone that she had in the beginning. So I think he stole her phone multiple times. <laughs> Every time she got a new phone, he just stole it. <laughs> I keep losing my phones. I don't know what's going on. Like, stop. <laughs> I He's smart enough that I feel like he could figure out how to make a duplicate. Next question from Reddit from Akinter. What did you think about the episode where we see Joe masturbate to Beck's used tampon for 27 minutes straight? Oh, my God. Talk about the steamiest sex scenes we've ever seen. No, the absolute insane part of this is that the odds of a Kinter being a troll are just as high as this actually being something that had happened. Either way, the world sucks, right? Either this person was being a troll and submitting a question that is not actually a question and we wouldn't know because we didn't watch the middle or this actually happened. And then why is anyone still watching this show? No, I, I think the time aspect is what makes it not possible since this mm -hmm. was a lifetime show it was structured to have commercials and imagine watching the show live on lifetime and you come back from watching an ad for that box you mail your poop in <laughs> three sections of tv with commercials between them for, for yeah just and it just comes back and, and it's still joe just jerking it to a tampon <laughs> but no this this never happened kinter you're a troll go back to guarding a bridge somewhere mm -hmm, mm -hmm. jathan ready 09 asks 
Why do you think Joe killed Mr. Mooney? I know the question is why, but I find that to be less interesting than when and how. I think the why is he tortured him and made him into the psycho that he is today. He's getting what he deserved. I just want to know when. Like, was it in the present timeline or was it before we meet Beck? Like, he could just be bullshitting to Paco that because he says, like, oh, Mr. Mooney. He does say he's just an old guy. Yeah. But he, he could be dead. I am willing to bet that Mooney was Joe's first kill. He wet his beak by killing Mooney. I would agree with that. But I am kind of convinced that he did it because he thought it's what Mr. Mooney wanted him to do. Interesting. As like a rite of passage. I think that Mr. Mooney was also kind of a serial killer. Oh, 100%. And he was like raising him to be a serial killer. And when he got old enough, he asked him to kill him to like get him hard for it. Get him hard for the killing. I can't say that's not a possibility. Hmm. Interesting. Next set of questions is from JP underscore 1896. Good year. Do you think that Joe's handling of the Benji situation will get him in trouble? With Beck? Yes. Gets him in trouble. With the rest of the world? Absolutely not. He did us all a favor. Does JP underscore 1896 mean killing him? Like, is that the Benji situation? But also, can we talk about the fact that this guy has the name of a dog? Like, Benji is a name for a Cocker Spaniel, not a person. I mean, we got Beck, we got Benji, we got Peach. The show's named you. Come on. They just can't name anything around these parts. Paco. It's just Joe, though. Joe yeah, but then, but then just Joe. Like, you have all these crazy, and then it's like, who do we want to name the main character? Yeah, Joe. Anyway, I think that Joe is more likely to get in trouble for Peach and not Benji. Agreed. Because he burnt, he burnt the body, and Joe knows his shit. I'm willing to bet that he didn't just burn the body on his property in a barrel like Stephen goddamn Avery. He's got the shit locked down. Plus, no one gave a shit about Benji. True. Apparently, Peach's family cared about her enough to hire a personal investigator. JP1896 also asks, what would you have done in Beck's situation after the bathroom scene? Again, what are we talking about here? The bathroom scene from the pilot where she soaked Joe in the tub? That's what I assume they were talking about, but I don't know why Beck had to do... What would we have done after that? I mean, if we were Beck, then we would go and read poetry, right? Or maybe they mean in the finale when she asks to use the bathroom as a ploy to escape. Or... Oh, maybe. There's probably just another bathroom scene in the middle. I'm hoping that it's the last one. I'm going to put a pin in this. There's another question later on that I'm going to connect here. But let me just tease it by saying I think it involves Joe locking himself in her bathroom. Interesting. Yep. We'll get there. Weird. So I said, like the one where she cried... I've done what I always do when I feel. Drink heavily and play video games where I can kill many people. There you go. Next question is from Mistress of Crows. What was Peach's secret? Yeah, so I think this is pretty heavily hinted at in the last episode here. I think Peach was in love with Beck and stalking her and taking pictures of her while she sleeps, and she was just real creepy. Yeah, I think she was a bisexual. I think she wanted (laughs) to rub her peach on Beck's peach. Some real fruit action, if you know what I'm saying. And I don't mean fruit in the derogatory sense. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that was terrible. Why would you? <laughs> Please don't cancel me. I have a child. <laughs> I think she secretly wanted Beck. And like an eight-year-old child, she tried to hide it by being mean to her. Agreed. Our next set of questions is from your wife. Yeah, Ashley watched this show way back when it came out, and she wanted to ask some questions about it, so here we are. Did she like it? Like, she was a fan of it? Yes. She wants to murder me in my sleep, I think. Makes sense. That's also where all my underwear has been going. Now we know. (laughs) It's all coming together. Uh, So Ashley's first question is, how does Joe kill Benji? Well, we know he burned the body afterward, hence the teeth in the box, but the killing really could have been anything. I'm going to go with, I think he starves him to death in the cube as a retaliation in a way for leaving Beck starving for his attention. Oh, interesting. I think he makes him drink his own cumin-flavored soda. It's cumin, David. Cumin. If it was cumin, it would have a Q in it, bitch. That's not true. How how do you spell cube? C-U-B-E. Yeah. Cube. C-U. Cube. No. I pronounce it cube. (laughs) Okay, yeah. No, I really honestly think that he forces him to drink that terrible, terrible soda, and he just immediately dies. Okay, all right. I don't think that's right, but that's my answer. All right. Next question from Ashley. How does Joe kill Peach? Beats her to death. Period. I think it's a good old-fashioned hanging, and I'll refer back to this in a couple questions, but I just think it was something that was laborious, because why else would you have to pee in a jar unless something was a large undertaking, and you just 
couldn't risk going outside to piss. So I think he was doing something hard like hanging her. Hmm. Why is hanging laborious? It takes a lot of work. Not really. You gotta like set that shit up. You gotta make sure it's at the right angle. I'm a boy scout. I don't know how to tie knots, bitch. Our next question from Ashley. Do you think he kills anybody else outside of the three we know about? Ron, Benji, and Peach. If so, who? Well, that one Reddit user suggested he killed Mooney, so him. I'm just thinking, like, logistically, there's not enough fucking time to kill anybody else. Like, with those four already, and nobody dead in the pilot, we're already almost at one person every two episodes. That is breakneck speed, and no pun intended for Peach's hanging. So, outside of Mooney, (laughs) I think he's a good boy. Based on the way this episode ended, and kind of, like, him resetting, made me feel like this has happened before. So... I don't think necessarily that we see him kill anybody else other than Mr. Mooney. I think it probably flashes back to that situation. So in this storyline, maybe not. But I bet we hear like a past storyline he has with maybe Candace or whatever that is and him doing some other bad things. Gotcha. Okay. yeah, I could be open to things in the past, but I don't think there's anything else in our. I don't think there's anyone else in this this particular storyline. There's no time. There's no time to. So with the fact that every character that was in the first episode was in the last episode in some way or another, except the people who died, we didn't meet anyone else. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. It would be surprising if someone got introduced in like the third episode and then died in the fifth. That homeless guy. The engine, oh, engine number maybe, nine. maybe. Yeah. Or yeah. the guy who stood up and, and yelled, you're so sad at the poetry. <laughs> yeah, he kills dead. that guy. Yeah, I would have too. This is so sad. Or Benji's co-CEO. Oh, yeah, we met him. Anyway, next question from Ashley. Where did Joe and Beck do it for the first time? And what does Beck tell her friends about the experience? I think the first time they do it, it's in the cage. And I think that she tells her friends that she felt like a naughty fish. She let him put his eel into her octo pussy. That's something. Probably doesn't say that last line, but I bet it was in the cage. Probably not. I'm tempted to say the bookstore, putting some P in the V next to a stack of Vonnegut. And when Beck climaxes, she yells, oh, Dan Brown. And he's like, yeah, you want some of this Da Vinci load? No, I think that he's the silent type. He wouldn't say that. But no, all of that is stupid. I They just do it in her apartment, exactly where douche Lord Benji had. Boring. I think that Joe needed to mark his territory. But I think that it was her best sexual experience she ever had because the dude actually cared about her for once and her pleasure. And Mm -hmm. I think she tells her friends that. Mm. Who fakes a suicide attempt? I think Joe fakes peaches. It's hinted at in the finale when the PI is questioning Joe that she committed suicide or it was made to look like suicide. And of the top five most popular self-murder methods, I think he chose hanging. All of that hoisting made him have to pee. Lock it in. So I I agree. I think it was peaches. I think it was alluded at that it was a suicide. The way Ashley worded this question, though, makes me feel like there's something else Like outside of that, because she says a suicide attempt. Right. It's like, well, he didn't fake a suicide attempt. He faked a suicide with Peach. So, yes. Last question. What does Joe do about Beck's infidelity? I think he just slaps her across the face and throws her in this cage. Well, first of all, I can't hear the word infidelity and not want to belt out dashboard confessional. I'm a 15 year old girl. Don't at me. But if I were to draw a straight line. It would be lock her up in the book sauna and watch her squirm and then frame the dude with her murder. But I don't think it's that. I think it's something prior to that and more specific. She does mention that he hit her. So you could be right. Like he could have slapped her across the face. Hmm. <laughs> I teased it earlier, but I'm teetering on changing, changing my answer. Mm-hmm. You know what? No, let, let me shoot my shot. I think that he locks himself in her bathroom and says that he's doing weird things with her stuff to violate her because he felt violated by her cheating. I'm talking like putting her toothbrush in bad places, wiping stuff on the walls, unrolling all of her toilet paper like a cat, cutting her shower curtain in half, clogging up the sink, fogging up her mirror and getting fingerprints all over it, chewing up all her Flintstones vitamins and spitting them all back in the container. Just some dastardly stuff. I don't know if other people are like me, but as somebody who is obsessed with being clean and who refuses to poop in public, the bathroom is kind of my sanctuary. So if somebody did something like that, it would almost be worse than cheating in a way to me. You would hold on. Hold on. We're never we're not skating by that one. You would rather Ashley go sleep with another man than make a mess in your bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is the what is literally what you just said like if she destroyed the bathroom to a point where i had to go 
to the bathroom. Uh, you mean I have to poop in this dump? No, like if I had to go somewhere else to go to the bathroom. <laughs> if she messed up your bathroom so bad, you had to go somewhere else. Like if I had to go to a that store. That is still a fate worse than her sleeping with another man. Like if I couldn't shower for a while? Yeah. Oh, Too bad. I, but she wouldn't do that anyway. She's awesome. Oh, obviously. Neither would anyway. my wife. But it's, this is a hypothetical, and <sighs> we've learned that you're hypothetically a crazy person. Well, anyway, one last note that I, I needed to make mention because it reminded me. When we moved into my condo, Ashley found a key for our master bathroom door up above the door frame and never told me about it. And the thing is, like our the bathroom doorknob doesn't look like it could accept a key. So this key is not like a normal key. It's like a, a weird little like skinny rod that goes into the tiny, tiny little hole in the doorknob and you can unlock it. Yeah, it just presses a button in there. Yeah, basically. Anyway, but I, I didn't know about it. So she fucking blew my mind for like nine months just opening the door on me if I ever locked it and just like laughing her ass off. And it's one of the most proud of her I've ever been because she she kept it a secret for so long. You know, for someone who takes pride in their bathroom, I'm surprised you didn't know how the locking mechanism worked. Anyway, I was proud of her. We're very bad at secrets. So the fact that she kept that a secret for like nine months and kept open up the door on me was was really great. That's pretty impressive. I'm proud of you, Ashley. Moving on. Well, that's all our regular questions, but we have a very important last question. Uh... And that is from Mr. Ed Truck. First and foremost, Mikey Jr., a person who has said such gems as more better in an episode questioning my English and sentence structure is rich. A real professional podcaster would have added a the into the last question that was directed to him instead of staying petty like Mikey Jr. always does and reading it verbatim. This week's question, would you rather be obsessed with a woman or an idiotic drab worse than Big Bang Theory garbage show like Lost? Lost sucks and so do you, Mikey Jr. First of all, I'm the professional podcaster here. I'll tell you how it works, not the other way around. Yeah, changing people's questions to be something they didn't actually write. That's professional. Go back to your cube where you belong, Ed Truck. Second of all, can my answer be both? I'm obsessed with women who like Lost. It's the best of both worlds. And why are you going to be so rude, Ed? Just remember, you started this. But just like Lost, I know how to end it. Yeah, I went there. People who don't like the ending of Lost are dumb. Now, here's a question for you, Ed. Would you rather be obsessed with a professional podcaster or obsessed with making fun of a show that you're too stupid to appreciate? Guess your answer is both as well. Boom. Roasted, Ed. <laughs> Soon you're both going to be stalking each other and it's going to be just a big fancy circle jerk. I'll meet you in the cube, Ed. Uh, let me meet you in the cube. They're cool. You said it's so tough. <laughs> come, come down to my basement, Ed. Come down to my basement where I have a cube and a lot of old books. I got some pop for you to check out. Books that I sold for $35. <laughs> well, that is all the questions. And that is you. No, it's you. David. Michael. It's time for center count. So what do you score this? Oh, man. I score it a four out of seven. I do really like Penn Badgley and his acting style. Like he does a really good job of being kind of a lovable creepy dude. Like he has his way about doing it that I really appreciate. And the storyline is really interesting to me because it kind of it, it takes the normal love story and kind of flips it on its head. So I actually might go back and watch this and not even because we're probably going to cover season two potentially eventually. But it, it was interesting to me. I, I would kind of like to know what happened in the middle, how it progressed and, and what happened, which is odd for me to say about a love story kind of like this, like a weird psychological love story. But but yeah, I uh, four out of seven. I went with five out of seven. There's some great writing here amongst the cliches. There's also some truly lame stuff that nearly drags it down to a four. But this is post-Sopranos TV as we know it. Bad guys that we somehow find ourselves rooting for and excusing their delinquent behavior. Mm -hmm. Joe's just another in a long line. Despite my score, five out of seven, I don't really feel the urge to watch the middle like you. But I do want to see season two. Like, I'd rather see what happens next rather than what already happened. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of where, where it goes for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I did like this overall. There's definitely some pain points, but but it is one of the better TV shows that we've covered, in my opinion. I'd agree with that. Cool, 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 cool. So that was you. David, what do we have coming up? November 3rd, Halloween has passed, and it's time for us to discuss under the silver lake with rapper showtime yeah now he is also a podcast slash twitcher he is part of the ydd show which is part of the young coffee network that's c-o-f-f 
3-3. But yeah, you mentioned it at the top. He's a rapper, part of the duo Joe Grizzly. And I've actually had done some rap songs with them in the past. So <sighs> that just shows you how cool he is. I'm so Caucasian. This episode is going to suck for me. No, Showtime's awesome. And it's going to be a blast. Okay, as long as we don't have to rap again. We'll wrap this episode up. Yes, we will. But David, what do we have coming up before then? Before then, we have a center chat coming at you next Wednesday. We are going to be asking if we would rather be stalked by a stranger or someone we know. That is a great question. I honestly am going to have to think long and hard about that. That's our question. So have a think about that and come back in a week and we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about what makes stalking great. I don't have anything else other than if you have any feedback, please send it to the center cut cast at gmail.com. And you know the deal. Hit up all the socials. We're there. We'd love you to come by. Also, leave us reviews and rates and all that stuff and all the fun podcatchers, whatever you use. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Just like that green cylindrical pillow, it's always better in the center. Mm-hmm.